In the third episode of On The Go, we have the great pleasure of picking the brains of Stefan Leppler, who's the CEO at MotionTag. Stefan is an engineer at heart, and before founding MotionTag in 2015, he was an integral part of the media-based mobility team at Inosat. Having over seven years of experience in mobility consulting, he can also count a gig at the Institute for Applied Ecology to his resume. Stefan, I am thrilled to have you on the go, and especially so early in the day. For those of you who are listening, if our voices sound a bit raspy, it is because we're clocking in at 8 a.m. in the morning. Stefan, I will hit you with our first customary question. How did you get here today? Hey, Sigrid. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Actually, I came here by car sharing this morning, so free-floating car sharing, um, because Actually, connection with public transportation from my home to here where the studio is is not that great. So I found it a quite good alternative to come by car sharing mm -hmm. this morning. Where do you live? I actually live in Friedrichshain, yeah. close to Ostkreuz station, somewhere between Ostkreuz and Frankfurt Allee. And where do you work? I work in Potsdam, actually. It's like our headquarter is, is now at Griebnitzsee, which is like a beautiful, beautiful scenic area. Yeah. Um, right behind, like one station after Espan Wannsee. It's quite after the border of Berlin and Potsdam. But the connection is quite good there because it is. We have okay. a regional express. We have Espan and everything. Well connected. Well connected. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about Motion Tag, and I will hit you with an attempt to a description mm -hmm. of Motion Tag. You guys strive to create seamless, sustainable and smart mobility by advocating a switch from supply-based to user-centered transport. Thus, you generate mobility intelligence via the integration of your tech into third-party apps, where you can actually enable new services that make both cities and providers cleverer. This is a somewhat tweaked extract from your vision. Now, what does it mean? <laughs> We are a B2B company and we create services and software which can be integrated in already existing applications. We have this goal to make transport and mobility smarter. And to do so, we have to better understand how mobility and transport is actually lived by the people. What we do in the first place is to understand the travel behavior, the travel patterns of people by leveraging from the smartphone and the sensors on the smartphone And if you know how people get from A to B, you can build up new services mm. on top of this layer. In detail, it's quite techy and it's quite nerdy and it's a lot of to do with sensor data processing and artificial intelligence. But the goal is really to better understand the transport system and to kind of yeah, effectively influence it and make it better for the sake of the people and the environment at the end. Mm. What I think is really cool is that you are sort of underlining a conflict between a supply-based and a consumer-focused mobility as what you are doing is helping us to get to know the end use, aka the people who are traveling or the people who are working within logistics, um, the people. So this in turn creates a value chain where individual patterns become even more important. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get to know how you are working with understanding that type of transportation, how you you touched a bit upon how you're gathering the information, but how are you analyzing it and how are you in the <coughs> end utilizing 
mm-hmm. what you track. Yeah. Basically, from our perspective, we have this big problem at the moment where we don't, I mean, everyone is talking about demand-based, but no one knows the demand. I mean, each and every transport mm-hmm. operator has his own silo, his own kind of thinking, his own data set, but no one kind of connects the dots and and kind of tries to get the holistic picture of how people get from A to B. And this is something that we want to solve because we start with the user, the item where this whole transport system is built around. So this is like, I think, the very first thing to understand. And how we do it is actually by understanding the movement patterns. And this is done by analyzing several sensors on the phone, meaning location data like GPS, Wi-Fi, cell towers, but on top of that, also leveraging from accelerometer data. And so if you leverage from that, um, you can apply like a, like algorithms to that. Mm. So they're actually watching, looking at the patterns, and they kind of re-identify patterns. And mm-hmm. from that patterns, you can get to kind of a relation from A to B and say, okay, mm. This he was traveling actually from there to there. Mm. And from the patterns itself, you can distinguish if it was a kind of commuter train, a, um, a bus, a car, a uh, walking, an airplane, whatever. I mean, this is basically the core of what we are doing. It's like get, like turning sensor data into useful information for transport analytics mm. and mobility analytics. And this is the kind of the first layer is like descriptive. And then on top of the descriptive one, you build up use cases and serve the person who has the software on his phone helping this individual to get always the best price for example when it comes to ticketing or to be provided with the right information at the right time it has like the benefits for this individual to make his or her transport experience more seamless and individualized in Mm. in that sense like from like the normal mass transit experience to something which is like, okay, the transport system actually behaves in my favor and, and it provides me with the right information, the right tickets and um, the right services at the right time. So we have a somewhat techie question coming up. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that you are able to distinguish between different types of modes mm-hmm. depending on their acceleration. Yeah, accelerometer is accelerometer. One, one of the sensors that we're leveraging here. Yeah. And how is it working technically? If I'm holding my phone mm-hmm. and I'm changing from a scooter, which is driving 20 kilometers an hour, and mm-hmm. then I'm changing into a bike, which is driving approximately the same mm-hmm. at the same speed, how will you know what mode of mobility I'm on? Mm-hmm. The speed talking okay has an average same speed this is something which comes from location data from waypoints and this is one of our usps because in urban dense areas you can it might be the car the scooter the bike or even the tram which are all traveling with the same speed but to distinguish that we're leveraging from other sensors and one of that is the accelerometer and it has three dimensions x y and z but it's a technical answer here. Um, <laughs> and it comes also in a like very high frequency, something between 5 and 50 hertz, meaning on each of these axes, there is one, one like there are up to 50 points per axis mm. per second. And this, when you compare like a bus, which has like a big diesel engine, it has a specific vibration 
pattern. And this is kind of a fingerprint of this transport mode then. So imagining, for example, some, a rail-based mode has a smoother acceleration in a way, while as, for example, if you're walking, you, you can like imagine with mm. each step that you're taking that there is some, some p- patterns mm. in it. And this comes in on several sensors on this many measures per second. And each of these transport modes have a specific fingerprint when it comes to detecting the or distinguishing between the transport mode. So in your example of the bike, the bike has a different vibration pattern when you're in a different horizontal acceleration as, for example, the scooter. Mm. When motion tag is included into whatever mobility app that I'm using, I really want it to be connected to my Apple Hot application yeah. <laughs> so they can track all my movements like see how how good I am at walking and biking. Mm-hmm. This is something that we let me already do in terms of promoting green mobility behavior, giving you feedback about CO two, giving you feedback about your we call it muscle kilometers. So mm. something which you did with by walking and biking. And our goal is really to get people from their private car to environmentally friendly modes of transportation. And one thing to promote that is, of course, by telling you how good your behavior is. So in an ideal world where motion tag is integrated into all different types of mobility Mm -hmm. solutions and apps that we have today or tomorrow, what would then the perfect trip look like? You're going to leave your home. You don't have to buy a ticket anymore. Everything happens automatically. So you just pay for what you're using. If you end up in a crowded train, you're going to get prompted with a notification which says, okay, if you change at the next station to the bus from your commuter train, you're probably going to get a seat. And save 10 minutes. And save 10 minutes. And maybe you get even a discount of 10%. And your bike sharing bike is also going to be booked and reserved at the end of this bus journey. And because it's maybe not bringing you to the last mile. So everyone is talking about autonomous cars. You can imagine it as some like your kind of travel buddy, your travel guide. So someone who's taking your hand and making sure that you have the most convenient, most price effective and economically their best user experience that you can get. You've been around for about three years. How has your offer been received so far? We got great feedback from the industry and we see that solutions that we build are actually demanded or requested from the industry. On the other hand side, we have a really technical product. It requires a lot of engineering, a lot of tweaking. It has to have a high precision, especially when you think about ticketing. And if you build your payment solution or your ticketing solution based on this kind of software, you better make sure that everything is really correct. And so this is like one of the technical challenges is like really to have a precision which allows us at the end to say, okay, we're going to be charged per station from A to B. The clients that we are working with are like more like in the digital leadership at the moment. So they're quite far when it comes to digitization of their services. While as others in the industry, they first have to solve some fundamental parts when it comes to informing the user how to get from A to B. And if they don't have, for example, a way of like how to issue digital tickets, this is something that they have to solve first. So there is a demand for what we are doing, but it's not applicable to 
transport systems where you don't have this strong digital channel, where our solution always requires to be integrated somewhere. Mm. So and if this body not is not there, this is actually a problem that has to be solved first. Do you see that there are a few markets that are ahead of the game and that you would want to get into? And if so, who are they? We are operating currently in Dach, so Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Uh, we see France as one of the big markets in Europe, and we also see the Nordics as like way advanced. Besides that, there are other interesting markets for later, let's say Asia or South America. But What about the US? The US is somehow different from Europe, South America, Asia, because their like, transportation is basically built on cars, And the whole infrastructure is built on cars. So this might be somehow like a challenge to actually enter the market and like come up with like a fully dynamic travel guidance body application. So I think that your um, ticketing solution mm -hmm. or ticketing philosophy, if you want to call it that, is really interesting. As you try to solve a problem which is inconvenient for the consumer as well as something which is expensive for the operators to manage as it is today. Could you give me the elevator pitch for why your ticketing solution is the best on the block? Problems that we are solving is, on the one hand side, this sales channel that traditional operators are using as vending machines, and they're quite expensive. They come with a lot of overhead costs. And on the other hand side, they don't provide any additional insights on the user This process, especially when you're new to a city or you're a tourist or whatever, you don't know the transport system and it's quite cluttered and not really the most obvious thing to see what is the right ticket for the day. And we believe that the next step here is something which adapts mm. actually to how you get from A to B. I mean, you can compare it with the London transport system where you have this pay-as-you-go yeah. or the Singapore transport systems and they're like way advanced and everyone mm. is talking about them, but they have this... Downside, they require infrastructure like gates to yeah. block you from entering the stations. And this, of course, would require, on the other hand side, a huge investment into this infrastructure, mm -hmm. which is not necessary if you're using our solution. What you're also doing is simplifying the process of traveling and removing parts of the decision-making process that people usually do themselves on a day-to-day -day basis when they search for tickets or when they try to look up information of how to travel from A to B, that is then something which is almost fully automated. I guess that can also save people a lot of time and headaches. Yeah, absolutely. We strongly believe that everything is going to be around the user at the end. Speaking about the individual user or the individual patterns, mm -hmm. seeing that you have a few projects running now with some pretty heavyweight clients, what are the various patterns that you have been able to distinguish so far? Or what can you tell us about how people are traveling today? People are open to connect different modes of transportation and because it's also getting more convenient to do so through the digitization and the smartphone in your pocket, it's way easier to combine, let's say, a car sharing with public transportation or a bike. And, and making that process more convenient also gives you like a real alternative to 
getting from A to B with your private car. And this is something from the supply side, which is really, really important and where we can actually leverage from this trend of having this smart device in your pocket. And this is something that you can actually observe in the market. And also when it comes to travel behavior, that people, if the offer, if the supply is there, and we see that, for example, in one of our clients' projects is from Swiss Rail, SBB, it's called Green Class, which is actually, it's a mobility as a service subscription model. And you see that people really adapt to this kind of different options and they adapt their travel behavior to that and they can really uh, leave their private car at the side and don't need that anymore because they have a bundle of different services which they can actually use and combine and yeah, fulfill their demand with this kind of portfolio that they have. I think this is something which is a trend which is yeah, continuously going to the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand side, like bike ridership is increasing, public transport ridership is increasing. I was just thinking when you mentioned SBB and you, you mentioned some of the cities, would it be possible in your eyes to combine the new set of supply and the continuous development of that supply together with your data to nudge a certain behavior for a more sustainable city, as in um, managing traffic flows or incentivizing people to take certain routes mm -hmm. which are more environmental friendly? And if so, is this something that you're already doing? We are on that way, and then this is definitely part of our mission. And we think, like, everyone's talking about smart cities, but we think that starts always with knowledge and knowing how the city... What is the status quo, basically, right? You want to, If you want to improve stuff, you have to first define a baseline, and then you have to measure and continuously improve based on what you measure. And I think this is, like, a crucial part of that. And I think improving the demand side and making it easier more convenient um, to, to use your private car is really a big part of the game of improving the life quality. And this comes not just like providing the right tickets because it's economically friendly, but providing also the right information that you're not feeling stressed up and haven't, let's say, negative experience when it comes to public transportation. But, I mean, this is the stuff that we can do from a startup perspective or from the, yeah, okay, we can we can improve the way of how this stuff is perceived but i think also on the political agenda there must be something still also including let's say the external costs of how transportation is currently used in in cities which actually means the price of the environmental impacts from from driving your private car and also externalizing the parking lot and the parking spot within a city where mm -hmm. you're like you're paying enormous prices for for flats too. yeah for fl but yeah you as a as an uh, like a citizen you're paying a lot for your flat or you have to pay a lot for like the land and like if you want to build a house on that mm -hmm. it's super expensive but if you compare that for let's say like four square meters where you can park your car it's basically it comes for free in the public space where more and more people are in, where you have a huge lack of flats, of public space, etc., etc., and you can basically, each and everyone can park his or her car for free in a city where, like, normally the ground is so expensive. Mm. I mean, this is some weird situation. And uh, especially as the population in almost every single city in the world is growing rapidly, yeah. and we're facing such a shortage of land where to build. Yeah. 
Uh, new apartments. And, yeah. and therefore, you have to also from the political side, you have to really think about. Um, I don't say. Like, I don't want to say. Are you like, talking you make... to politicians? And like, do you do you meet them and introduce what it is that you are doing, the vision, how you see the future of mobility, the future of urban planning? Are you in any sort of dialogue? Because I meet mm. with so many startups, mm. and everyone is saying the same. Like there is a political dimension that we're trying to break through and that we need to address. But no one is really talking to anyone from the other side. We had the pleasure to be invited to a EU forum where it is about setting a research agenda when it comes to transportation for the next 20 years. And we also had the pleasure once to pitch at the transport ministry of Germany and like pitching to the, let's say, old minister. And, and they're like, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And of course, if you pitch your pitch, your solution, you don't have the time to kind of say, by the way, what you're doing is not really the most sustainable <laughs> thing here. And uh, I know that you're big buddies of the car industry. And I think this dialogue between politicians and startups or people from the industry, which is not just only car industry, there's a new industry coming. And this would be something pretty valuable because that is not just only about mindsets and how do we see the future of mobility, but there's also other stuff to discuss, for example, market entry for startups mm. when it comes to the purchase processes of clients like such as BVG, the Berlin Transport Authority, where we're uh, the Berlin Transport Operator, where we're currently, which whom we're currently working on a pilot. Um, it makes it somehow extremely difficult for a small company to actually collaborate and co-work with these transport operators because they're public companies and they have to, of course, go for a tender process on a certain amount. But this is something, of course, there must be competition and that's all good to have this transparent process. But there, it would be way easier to say, say if there's kind of a fast lane process to somehow like to innovation mm. and to make this process not that painful I'm not saying we have to remove all the tender processes, but maybe we could think of like having a higher baseline or let's say like a higher hurdle to, to overcome. Or on the other hand side, maybe make it a little bit easier and on terms of formal criteria to fulfill to go to this tender process and not too much paperwork and not, okay, it must be super old, old economy, economy uh, solution providers who can actually sell to these companies, but also and make it easier for like BVGs or Swiss Rail guys mm. and to work with these young companies because I think there's a lot of potential in, or innovation potential in mm. these collaborations. What is your view then on OEMs, car producers? They are increasingly establishing their own sort of entrepreneurs or their own mm -hmm. smaller sort of internal speedboats in terms yeah. of new mobility. Do you see that as something which is either good for them because it spearheads innovation or something which is closing the door to other players such as yourself? I think it's the right way. And I really welcome that trend because it opens the mindset. I mean, it opens doors rather than closing them. Mm. There should be open doors for external players as well. But I think it's the right trend. And I really would like encourage that to continue because their internal speedboats, whatever, these are the people then reaching out to externals and startups and to kind of try to incorporate solutions which are already there. And this is actually the right trend, I would say. Mm -hmm. I don't see that as competition or whatever, not at all. Mm -hmm. 
seeing that we now ride a wave of digitization that is ever growing, but at the same time not able to swallow the entire population as a whole, to use a somewhat morbid allegory, how can we make sure to include and not forget the people outside the digital framework? And here I'm speaking mainly of the more senior generations that are not using apps for the daily transport and who are in fact using the paper tickets and the vending machines that we have mm -hmm. still today. I'm not saying that we have to remove all the old infrastructure. It's more turning it into something cost efficient. So maybe instead of having four vending machines on a station, maybe one is sufficient. And I think this is one part of the story. I think there is more and more elder people also using smartphones, apps, etc., etc., and they can actually simplify processes for them as well. It's more a matter of if you already experienced it or not. I mean, there are people who are open to try out this new stuff and they figure out that this provides a value to them and therefore actually makes stuff easier than more complicated. On the other hand side, there will be still vending machines printed out, timetables, etc. So. Vending machines in 20 years? Not in a way that we see them now. 20 years is like a huge time frame, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily a smartphone anymore. Maybe there's a new device which is then serving all of our purposes. But I actually, I mean, in 20 years from now, I mean, then there are people who are now using smartphones also in an elder generation. So if you're 70 years old, I mean, you're 50 today, and, and mm -hmm. I think most of the like 50-year-old people like already are part of the digitization using a smartphone, etc. So I think there should be kind of backup plans for, okay, how you can't force and you shouldn't force all the people to go the like 100% digital way, but you can save the infrastructure costs here and there for not providing all these old channels anymore. There's kind of a potential where you can cut down the infrastructure, but you don't have to build it down to the zero but you can reduce it to a like, necessary part where this is still a backup for the non-digital way. We already took a step into this direction in our previous discussion, but I want to return a bit to the fact that if we start to operate mobility systems that are powered by accurate data, and this is something that you specialize in and also lobby for, transport providers and cities can adapt their strategies to real-time user demand. But what they can also do is predict as well as change or nudge travel behavior. Mm -hmm. How long do you think it takes before this becomes reality at scale? And have you already started, except for with SPB, to drive in this direction of incentivizing people to travel in a certain way based on the data and the information that you accumulate? Mm. I think we are at the beginning now of this systems becoming effective and informing people how they most conveniently get from A to B because it's not just a problem for the operator that you operate on your capacity limits. It's also pretty much inconvenient for, for you to travel in a like totally packed subway, for example. So having these systems in place, having a better data source to plan your operations on, to also have a more detailed way of planning new routes and new timetables and... Um, Better operating on a balanced way between the supply and demand is, of course, a very good goal to achieve in the next years. Definitely. And I like that we're starting to talk a little bit more about practical examples because it leads me to another question that I have for you. Besides SPB, you're also working with some other pretty 
high-level clients. Could you detail how your most important partnerships look like and what you do together? Because what I also find so cool about Motion Tag is that almost everything that you do is a partnership. Mm -hmm. And um, that also gives you a lot of insights into how larger companies or larger cities are thinking. So I would be super interested to um, step behind the stage. We are starting with pilot projects at the beginning and then we see, okay, what can be a common use case. Um, and with Swiss Rail, um, we are quite far in the process. Uh, with BVG, Berlin Transport Authority, we are at the beginning. We are, have our first pilot to actually understand under BVG motion how the Berlin population is traveling from day to day. How will that pilot start? How are you setting everything up and what exactly is it that you're going to measure? We started with white labeling, uh, one of our applications to make it come in the look and feel of the Berlin Trail, like the BVG. So it's a yellow app, the similar look and feel than their normal like flagship applications. And uh, we started to have a small campaign with the press release and like I think uh, like one Facebook post, but not with their social media around that topic. And what we wanted to figure out is How is the adoption? Do people... Because you have to opt in, right? You have to opt in, of course. I mean, you download an app, you're opt in. And then we wanted to figure out, first of all, like how is the adoption by the people? Do they actually like it? Do they participate? And we were actually quite um, amazed about the feedback. And there's something changing, I think, also in the mindset of the of the broader population. Or maybe it's a Berlin thing. They're like a little bit in advance, but they were like also they are seeing like there's actually seeing the the value of this kind of solutions because it helps a BVG to maybe like improve their planning, their scheduling, and therefore also at the end serving the end user again with a better transport experience. And so far, it looks like the results look pretty good, and it's also quite interesting insights that you can gather from the data. Can you tell us anything? Yeah, it's more yeah, like... Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> we, the, the, it's like, yeah, but we, we are still running. Uh, we are still running that pilot, so I don't want to spoiler anything here. Um, <laughs> so we have to look up for the second press release then. You have to look up and especially also what if and what BVG tells us about the results. In the end, it's a partnership and so therefore they gonna decide about the value of what we did. It seems like you have a lot of cool things going on and that it's only going to be extended. If you could take a, a future glance into... Mm -hmm. The next couple of years, where would you want to see Motion Tag at that point? Our goal is, of course, to get our solutions integrated into these big flagship applications because there they provide the biggest value because they have the most users. And so, therefore, you can reach out to the most users in terms of providing this new way of ticketing, this mm -hmm. new way of information services, and also to get an insights around the usage of these people. And in terms of internationalization, We're, as mentioned, the markets before, we try to then go the next step to Asia and to South America, probably. And is that something you're looking to do already next year? First of all, we're going to fix the one or the other problem here in our home markets, and then we're going to go to these uh, new markets. Yeah. And what about developing within the logistics sector? Mm -hmm. Because there you also have quite complex transportation routes and various options that you can use, trains, trucks, planes, mm -hmm. etc. 
Have you applied your tech to that? We are right now collaborating on doing the first pilot when it comes to last mile delivery to better understand if the delivery person is like driving his car or like his truck and then walking the last meters. So this is something where we actually are doing the first steps. It's not about the whole logistics chain because therefore it doesn't make too much sense to use the smartphone because you don't want to put a smartphone in each and every parcel or something like that. <laughs> But helping to generate some insights about how the last mile kind of looks like when it really comes from the actual truck to your door. And this is something where we can actually help and this is, or we, we might want to help, but we're going to figure that out in the pilot that we are running with one of the logistics companies in Switzerland. Mm. And how did you get in contact with them? Was this something... From, from your side or they, they reach out to you? How did that uh, collaboration come to be? Because it sounds a little bit outside the box from what you've been focusing on before. Generally, we have been quite lucky to get in contact with these big clients and we have a great team and there was a lot of yeah, luck involved and we have been at the right time at the right spot on the right fair and to get in contact with the right person who believe into this kind of solutions. And generally, I mean, getting in touch with these clients at the beginning, it's it's super challenging to, to convince the very first clients when you have one or two on board and then people start trusting you with what you're doing because you're already providing solutions to, let's say, the Swiss rail. And with this specific client in the logistics sector, it came through like because one of our investors is actually the Swiss Post and they kind of like did the introduction there. Um, mm -hmm. But how to acquire these clients and what's like a good strategy there is like to go on, like to be, yeah. Somehow it's based on referrals through already existing clients. I mean, the first clients, you have to have a little bit of luck and you have to right, meet the right people and you have to be humble and wait and be persistent and trying to, to continue on that path and adopt a little bit from here and there to really match their demand and also to make your, let's say, pitch a little bit more understandable. I guess that your pitch deck has changed a quite, lot. Yeah, <laughs> quite yeah. dramatically yeah, in the last few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since it's a B2B tech product, it really is challenging to explain what it's actually doing. Mm. So, yeah. And make it understandable, not only to investors and people working within the scene, but also to your friends and family yeah, who are asking, <laughs> what are you doing every day? Yeah. You should ask my mom what, I, what we are doing. You should ask my mom what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> They would have a fantastic conversation. Yeah, It would last two minutes. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of your mom <laughs> okay. and you, yeah. uh, since you have been... You know, forced to explain what it is that you do for the last mm -hmm. approximately three years. Mm -hmm. How did the idea of motion tag come up in the first place? I was working with my co-founder together at the research institute, Innozet. We, we worked there together on an application which actually had the intention to remove paper and pencil mobility surveys based on oh. smartphones. So we wanted to create a better tool to understand how mobility is lived and to remove the burden 
for people who are participating in these studies or research projects to say to fill out questionnaires each and every day, which saying like, how do you get from A to B? Which modes of transport did you use yesterday? How many kilometers at what time? Mm -hmm. la, la, la. So if you imagine how much effort it is to kind Man, of fill oh. out, yeah, and to fill out these kind of paper questionnaires. And it's like, okay, how outdated the data already gets in the moment where it's processed. Because if you really do that with paper and pencil, it takes like one and a half, two years until you get the results. So there were like time frames where you're actually talking where the results came out and everyone was then talking about car sharing, but car sharing wasn't included uh, or free-floating car sharing because the time where the data was Fantastic. recorded, mm. it wasn't out in the streets. Yeah. Um, Not a so, viable option to yeah, even yeah, include. Yeah, yeah. so basically there was the very first step and we, we thought there are more use cases, more, more stuff they can do than just transport research. We were quite lucky because Nuzet was actually letting us out. We have briefly discussed how the mobility scene is moving with various options of micromobility, how to incentivize leaving your private car at home, how public transport companies and traditional OEMs need to connect to younger startups and, and cities as well. Currently, the mobility scene is more and more referring to cities and urban areas as actual mobility ecosystems. And... I'm also in favor of that terminology because it suggests that we can not only rely on a few pieces of a puzzle to make it work, but we rather have to include and combine different types of building blocks, um, Lego, if you want to call it like that. Mm -hmm. And those are building blocks that we can then pick and mix in order to, to build tailor-made solutions based on various conditions and preferences, etc., now, I want to know, in your book, in your opinion, what does a mobility ecosystem need to have as their founding building blocks? Each ecosystem in each city is, an, is a system on its own, so therefore it's no like, off-the-shelf solution. It must be a, like probably individual combination of different elements. But from our perspective, what does it need to come up with a smart city is a strong public transportation in the end. And also somehow a digital layer, digital infrastructure, an application which gives you access to this transport system. Um, so for like for us and from the motion tech perspective, you need this kind of backbone, let's say public transportation, and you need an, a digital access to this transport system. And um, I think it also makes sense to to have that because um, it gives you as the like like as the individual which is also a part of this whole ecosystem, a very good access to the, to, to the, to the whole system in itself. And I think it's important to remember the individual within this system because yeah. they are the ones who are going to use it in the end. Um, but today it's more and more also the individual who is pushing, the, pushing it forward. I mean, traditionally we see that regulators and providers are working quite closely together to then push something out for the consumer to use. But more and more and more we see consumers going the other way around and pushing things that they want to use. Mm -hmm. The providers then have to um, supply and that the regulators then have to 
adapt. In a rushed manner, adapt. That's a tough question. question. <laughs> That's a really tough question. Yeah. When it comes to regulators, it makes sense to try to streamline processes and make it easier because technology itself is dramatically increasing and therefore people like us or the startup scene is of course leveraging from that technology to provide new services providing a new service to the end consumer and if you do that in the right way it, it drives the whole process and accelerates that process as well so i think when it comes to regulation there's one thing which like trying to better foresee what will happen Because if you already see that ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft are very, very successful in the U.S. or what's happening with bike-sharing in China, mm. you might uh, conclude that this stuff is hitting you on the short term and then yes. you're like, okay, what happened there? So one thing is like trying to be a little bit more proactive and try to foresee stuff and on the other hand side to try to streamline um the processes itself to make it easier to adopt. I think on the other hand side is making it easier to experience new services and trying to make it easier to try to pilot and experiment on that thing. So making it on the one hand side easier to see how does the user adopt, does it provide value, etc., uh, etc. Et is it something which provides a value for operators? And on the other hand side, therefore deriving insights from that process to kind of also fuel the regulation because then it's relying on real life experiences and yeah exactly mm -hmm. and therefore it makes you hopefully <laughs> take the smartest decision possible based on this actual behavior and making the relationship in between those various players a little bit more dynamic Ex yeah, absolutely. and not just a one-way street because they need to speak to each other but also realize where we're all coming from. Yeah, but they have to speak about data or real-world experiments yeah. and not about theory, about like, I don't know, maybe this ride-hailing services will kill the taxi industry or whatever. I mean, there must be something which is not just driven by lobbies and prejudices and whatever, but facts. the best case on facts and on real real-life experiences and... I don't know, it might turn out that people don't even use it, which doesn't make a service like economically viable over time. So yeah, being a little bit more pragmatic and hands-on and trying to do stuff together is probably a good strategy to make that a success story. I think that's a strategy that everyone can sign off on. Yeah, Maybe we should put it on paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One more question before we round up. If you could... Take a pick of who would be our next guest in On The Go. Mm -hmm. Who would it be? I would love to hear about Maxime Nerudi from Door to Door, maybe, mm -hmm. because they're Berlin-based, very successful startups. In several years, they pivoted from time to time, so I adopted what they're doing. And it's probably some really, really good insights on the one hand side of the mobility perspective, on the other hand side on the startup perspective mm -hmm. and I mean he's probably a lot of experience to share yeah, and there's so many players yeah. in Berlin at the moment yeah. it's absolutely booming Stefan it's been amazing having you here and thanks for joining me so early in the morning <laughs> uh, it's pretty safe to say that this has been the most interesting talk I've had before nine o'clock in a while <laughs> okay it's charming <laughs> But Stefan and Motion Tag are not the only two things that interest me, even if you can suspect so after this very episode. 
we strive to make on the go an eclectic podcast and we want to meet different players in the scene. So if you have any feedback or tips for guests that you would like to get to know better, you can hit me up at sigurdattraffy.com. We will be releasing a few more episodes until the holidays start. So stay tuned for more. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>